Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. This week, the spotlight is on Heidi Kirby. Heidi is a Learning Solutions Manager, Vice President of Teaching a Path to L&D, and a PhD candidate in Instructional Design and Technology at Old Dominion University. A learning problem solver, Heidi has over eight years of experience leading learning projects. She got her start as a college English professor, but has since worked as an instructional designer for NASA, a large health insurance company, a small tech startup, and a software company in her hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. In her spare time, she enjoys mentoring educators who are looking to transition careers into learning and development. Her research interests include the leadership competencies all instructional designers need to be successful in their roles. She also hosts the Block podcast, which is Building Learning and Organizational Culture podcast, which interviews guests about ways to bring learning to the forefront of your organization. In this episode, Heidi talks about how teachers can transition into instructional design, identifies gaps and strengths that teachers bring to this profession, top five skills that organizations look for in this industry, the mission behind teaching a path to L&D, resources shared by teaching a path to L&D, a success story like no other. Listen to learn about free resources, critical skills, market trends, and much more. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Heidi. Hi, Heidi. Thank you for coming to this episode of Redefine Instruction. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we get into our conversation, can you tell me a little bit about your background in instructional design? How did this whole journey start and where you're at right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started my career in higher education as a college English professor. And I taught as an adjunct English professor at a bunch of different local colleges for about five years. And then because I was looking for a more stable schedule and, uh, you know, more stable pay, um, I decided that instructional design was a good route to go. And um, so I started, I actually started my PhD program in instructional design first. And um, with the goal of eventually kind of working my way up the corporate ladder and then kind of realized very quickly, wait, I'm already doing all of this. Right. And so I was able to kind of leverage those skills from those first couple of semesters of class time into a transition into an instructional design career. So that was about three and a half years ago that I started in instructional design. And I've worked at different companies in the Cleveland area where I'm from. And this past January, I actually started my current role at DataTrack, where I'm a learning solutions manager. And so now I actually manage a team 
of instructional designers. So it's really kind of, um, you know, moving on and helping. And then of course, um, I host my own podcast called the block podcast and I volunteer, which we're going to talk about a lot today, um, for teaching a path to L and D, which helps other educators also make that transition to instructional design. Right, right. Um, and I, I would love to dive deep into teaching a path to learning and development, but I think yeah. you are in a very unique position where you have kind of gone through all the three realms, right? You have taught yourself, you've been in the weeds where design is concerned, you are now managing a team of designers. So let's talk about that first two buckets, right? The teaching aspect. I know you were teaching in higher ed as a, as a professor, but mm-hmm. talk to me about when you transition from that teaching aspect to instructional design. And if you were advising a new professional who's making that jump, what are some of the biggest strengths that a teacher brings uh, when she's transition, he or she is transitioning into instructional design? Yeah, so one of the questions that I get asked a lot by new instructional designers or, or teachers who are, are trying to get into the field is, how do I how do I get these jobs that require three to five years of experience in instructional design? I don't have that. And so I always rephrase the question like this. I always say, hold on a second. Do you have three to five years experience designing instruction? And they're like, well, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm like, Okay, well, then you have that experience. Now you just need to fill in those knowledge gaps. So I think one of some of the big things that educators bring to the table is that just, you know, many times you're given either competencies or assessment goals, or if you're a college professor, you're given a textbook and an example syllabus and told, good luck, have a great semester, right? And you have to fill in all those blanks. You have to create all those lessons, those learner experiences. And so that's really the big thing that educators bring to the table. Another thing is classroom management. I always say that classroom management is not to be underestimated because it's very similar to how you deal with stakeholders and how you lead projects in a business. Because essentially what you're you're in charge of is a bunch of people that don't actually report to you and don't actually have to listen to you. And there's no kind of financial repercussion to your students not listening to you, just as in the business, there's no financial repercussion for somebody who's not on your team, who you still have to work with and create a design project with. So you have to kind of learn how to um, influence and persuade people to do what you want them to do without having that formal title of leader. So I think that's another big underestimated skill that educators bring. Right. Great. Great. Yeah. The curriculum design piece and the people management minus the power, right? The the (laughs) rapport that you establish because you have to navigate different personalities. So let me flip that question. What are some of the gaps that teachers need to fill? So they bring all this. Obviously, they are at an advantage compared to some of the other professionals who are transitioning in. What are the gaps that they need to fill to get into this career? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it depends on the subject that you were teaching. So this is like not all inclusive, right? But a a couple of big gaps that I see, um, one that I saw in myself, especially was graphic design, right? And those visual design aspects and, um, you know, just really understanding fonts and colors and alignment and spacing. And so that's one of the big ones that I see 
Um, another one is just like foundational instructional design knowledge. I think sometimes we've been, especially as a lot of educators are looking to leave the classroom, we've been kind of pitching and marketing this idea that, oh, you can go into instructional design and it will be easy for you to make that career jump. Well, you know, let's not forget that it is a career shift, right? Even for me from moving from an instructional designer to a manager was a career shift. There were things that I had to learn how to do and manage and navigate to be able to successfully get that role. And so, you know, things like needs analysis or just adult learning theories, instructional design models or frameworks, um, the way that you evaluate and assess learning outside of the classroom, just kind of like those fundamental things that I think sometimes get skipped over because there's such a there's such a strong emphasis in our field on the tools that are right. used mm -hmm. and learning those that we kind of sometimes we jump over the kind of foundational things that make up what makes a good learning experience. Right, right, right. We get we get distracted by the shiny objects, which is yes. the tools, right? That's, <laughs> that's just a, yeah. Um, and that's the fun part of our job too, but there's a whole lot that happens before you get to that tool. And even how you present that information, just like you, like you said, the graphic aspect, the color schemes, the amount of information, cognitive load that goes on a single slide, all of those yes. are theoretical, um, you know, they're driven by the, the theory of learning and, and andragogy, right? All, all the schema mm -hmm. that they bring. So great points. Um, and so, so in this episode and in this series, I'm, I'm specifically focusing on new professionals who are looking to transition. And one of the biggest things that you provide as a resource is teaching a path to learning and development. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that organization and how you're helping people transition into instructional design? Yes, of course. So my dear, wonderful friend, Sarah Stevick, came up with this idea. And this was um, back around fall of 2020, um, where she had a Facebook, she saw a Facebook post about an educator who was looking to transition into the field. And she had just made that leap herself. And so she commented on this Facebook post very innocently, like, hey, if anyone's looking to make this shift, I've done it and I'd be willing to talk to people. And I guess after that, she was inundated with messages, right? Like she just had all these people reach out to her. And so what she initially did was she's like, I'm just going to start a webinar series and kind of cover all the bases on how do you translate your classroom skills to corporate skills and, you know, um, portfolio, resume, LinkedIn profile, how to interview all those things. So she planned out this webinar series and then she put out Kind of the bat signal right on linkedin of hey who does anybody want to help me do this and so um i had messaged her and i was like yeah I, i'd love to help you create some of this webinar material because you know i've been there i'd love to help give back and a couple of the big um kind of values from the beginning were that we offer this service for free wow. and that volunteers volunteer only what they're able when they're able no judgment and so those are things that we've kind of, that kind of formed the basis of TPLD, right? And um, then it just kind of blew up. It was very, it, we did not expect that it would be kind of as big as it is today. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a LinkedIn group that has 2,500 members. We have um, a Slack channel. 
we're now doing kind of uh, smaller scale workshops. We've done a resume workshop. We're doing a mock interview workshop coming up. And so we've kind of like built out, we have a YouTube channel. We did a YouTube live session where we just did some Q and A and we've done, you know, appearances on other people's podcasts. Um, Sarah just presented at the GLDC LND cares conference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just kind of grew into this big thing. We have several mentors. And if you go to our website, which is teachlearndev.org, mm-hmm. um, you can actually sign up for office hours with our different mentors. I think we have about, we have about five at any given time. Sometimes people pull back and, and pull back on their schedule or give more time. And there are just calendly time slots that you can sign up with to just talk to somebody about their experience to have them look over your resume, to have them give you advice on your LinkedIn or your portfolio, or to just ask random questions. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll do mock interview practice with you if you want that. Um, Sometimes I have just had calls where people just needed like a little extra encouragement and just were feeling like it's, it was too daunting. And so, you know, some, some of the calls that I've had with people are just hey, you can do this. And here's why. So right. right. What an amazing service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's, ca- I think that's all. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a lot. Th- that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and one of the questions that I have come up against is, is the debate of university versus, you know, getting an online course. And, and a lot of times, uh, people who are looking to transition don't want to spend the money 40k 50k doing another master's program or a PhD um, they are still tr- they have you know a, f- a foot in each boat right there's the kind of transit in that middle ground and they're yes. looking to upskill and fill in the gaps exactly as you're talking about mm-hmm. and it's amazing that that you know teaching a path to learning and development is offering this completely free because this is worth thousands of dollars out there. There's a lot yeah. of people charging a lot of money for all of this. Um, and, and, and likewise, the L&D community is also very supportive, right? We, uh, we also offer a lot yeah. of free stuff. If you, yes. if you were to go to the Storyline Heroes community, that's a very supportive community. We've Absolutely. got a lot of um, podcasts. So, um, so tell me, if you were to advise someone on... Um, you know, the demand for designers in this field, is is there a particular industry where the demand is high relatively, uh, relative to another industry? And is there a particular role that is higher in demand versus another? So that's an interesting question because instructional design is kind of, it's becoming really popular. And I don't know if it's, because of the pandemic technology, like what the perfect storm was that created this. But, you know, I think that a lot of people having to rethink their training strategy as a result of the pandemic has kind of been something that's boosted the industry, but there are just so many positions out there right now for instructional design or um, e-learning developer, which is, you know, just using the tools and doing the design work. Um, there's a lot of customer success positions within, um, ed tech, which is kind of like a a sidestep from instructional design a little bit, but it's very popular with educators to pursue that. Um, so just kind of looking at the different, different job descriptions that people send me to get my feedback on and just the different, um, 
kind of like automatic searches that I have just to keep a finger on the pulse of the industry, it looks like there's no one industry that's really hiring more than the others. There's just a lot of jobs out there right now. But one thing I tell everyone that I talk to is if you're willing to stay regional and apply regionally, um, that that is sometimes going to give you an advantage because all of these hundred percent remote jobs, you know, the competition pool is much larger because you and everyone else in the state country, however, globally, however large they're hiring, you know, that's your competition. Whereas if you are in Cleveland, like I am, not a huge area. And if I stay within Cleveland and apply to jobs within Cleveland, I have a much smaller competition pool. So I always encourage people to think about that before they start applying. Because if you're looking for 100% remote, you're probably going to get a few more rejections than if you right. were looking regionally. Right, right. And I think that's one of the attractions for this this position too, right? Because there's so many remote positions out there and, you know, the, the, the aspect of working from home. And nobody, believe me, Heidi, nobody has given the perspective that you have is look locally first because that you, your pool becomes smaller. So that's really great yeah. advice to go with. Um, so if you were to to tell a new designer the top five skills that organizations are looking for in this position, what are those top five skills? Because I, I tend to see there's a lot that gets thrown into a job description. So what are some yes. of the top things that they can do um, So actually, um, since you were kind enough to warn me about the questions you were going to ask me today, um, this one rang a bell. Um, in my PhD program, I do a lot of research on leadership competencies, but navigating that research includes like just competencies in general. So it made me think of a, an art, a journal article, right? I'll spare you all of like the boring research pieces, but basically um, Klein and Kelly did this study in 2018 where they looked at, I believe it was like almost 400 job descriptions of instructional design. And they were picking out the top competencies from the employer's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just gonna share with you the five that they found from their research Wonderful. instead of trying to you know, make up oh, a top five awesome. myself. Um, but they found that the number one skill was to collaborate effectively with stakeholders, SMEs and teammates. So that communication was number one. Number two was utilizing Addy to create learning solutions. So having a design process. Um, number three was about the software. So knowing e-learning authoring tools, Captivate, Presenters, Storyline, Lectora. Um, number four was applying knowledge and learning theories and principles, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And then number five was communicating effectively in visual, oral, and written communication. Mm -hmm. So communication is key. Design process, foundational instructional design, knowledge, and the tools. Awesome. So one of the big debates that I have, and I know that that teaching a path to learning and development is kind of the middle ground, right? Where you are neither offering courses which are heavily expensive because there are people there are private you know companies that are offering those upskilling courses and then there's universities if you were 
do not, so, so if somebody came to you with the question of, I am looking to transition, should I go to another master's degree or a graduate certificate in instructional design versus courses or go with teaching a path to learning and development, what kind of guidance would you provide? Is one better than the other or are there strengths of each of those buckets? Sure. I think the answer is, of course, like with everything, it depends, right? right. Um, so one of the things about TPLD is that we don't have a lot of our like our internal content based on kind of those foundational instructional design theories and knowledge. However, we do have we do curate a lot of resources and share a lot of resources from other areas in the field. So you could definitely fill those skill gaps just by following and engaging in the TPLD community. One of the things that you get that is a benefit from university, I think, and one of the reasons why I continually pursue degrees rather than just try to do it on my own is that accountability piece, right? Like when you invest that money, you're not going to say, yeah, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And then life happens and you don't get those things done. You, you have to get those things done because you've invested that money. So for me, it's really a big accountability piece because I often, you know, bite off more than I can chew and try to do everything. Right. And so for me, it's, it's big about accountability, but it was also about the fact that I didn't want to remain an instructional designer. I eventually, my eventual career goal is, you know, pie in the sky dream would be chief learning officer. Right. So if that's also your trajectory, having that degree may be a good option for you if that's where you want to go. If you want to do instructional design in higher education, and if you want to climb that ladder and become like director of online learning, then that's another situation where I would say, look at the different graduate degree programs, see if they fit, because typically in higher ed, having that degree, having that piece of paper, you know, being in academia is more valued. Um, in the corporate world, it's like, do you have a degree, right? Um, and so it's less important, I found in corporate to pursue that university degree. As far as the different ID academies that are out there that are like the private, um, you know, places, it depends on the skill that you're trying to learn. If you're like, I need to learn storyline, and I've tried it myself five times and I'm terrible at it still, that's when you should start looking into some of those different academies or places that are going to give you the specific skills you need. But know what you want to do, have a goal. Um, I say this to everyone always, and that's never, ever, 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 ever pay for anything just to put a bullet point on your resume, like have a goal in mind, right? Right, right. And I love how you broke it down on work backwards from your goal, right? If you have yeah. a very strategic goal, whether if it's targeting a unique industry like higher ed, or you want to climb the corporate ladder. And I've seen this myself that, you know, those degrees come into play as you start to climb the ladder. But if you all you want to do is design and that's that's where you want to live and that's where your your fun element is, then then degrees are not a necessity. I also like the fact that you said do your research right in terms of what 
is it that you need? Is it storyline upskilling that you need? Is it needs analysis and then work mm -hmm. backwards from there to identify the academies or the courses that fill that gap? That's a very strategic yes. way versus I'm handing somebody thousands of dollars to just who claims that they can teach me everything, but then I walk, right. walk away with, you know, and I think that the beautiful part of this is that you are already offering all of this absolutely free, which can be a great stepping stone or the, the exactly what somebody's looking for, right? Because you're also providing the tools with TPLD. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me, you talked about the community with TPLD. Tell me a little bit about that community. Um, what is it that that you do to nurture people in that community and how can people join that TL, TL, TPLD community? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the ways that we have started to build community is um, by just offering different kind of, I guess you could call them special interest groups for lack of a better term, but like on Slack, we have different channels. So um, one of those is accountability. So if you're looking for an accountability buddy to kind of check in with on a weekly basis to say, hey, how many jobs have you applied to this week? Oh, you know, just to keep each other motivated. So we have that section of the Slack channel. Um, we also have a book club that we just started. Um, and so the book club is like for people who want a little extra, right? They want to go through whatever resource that we're going through and discuss it together and discuss it with both other job seekers, but also people who are in the field as well. Um, we, like I said, we did um, a, a YouTube live session, and I think we're going to do more of those in the future where it's just kind of Q&A. And then another big change that we did recently, our LinkedIn group was kind of originally just a place where we posted a lot of resources, a lot of job leads, we would repost. And then um, Ann Lopez, who is a wonderful human being who helps us tremendously with TPLD, started a job board. And so she, we pulled those job postings out of the LinkedIn group because they were kind of, you know, they were breaking up the conversation that was happening, right? And it kind of became a distraction. So she pulled those out into a job board. So now the LinkedIn group is just really a place to discuss. And it's really just become a forum for people to share whatever they're working on, whatever questions come up. And then we also have, um, I like to lovingly call her the other Heidi. We have another Heidi in the group who is responsible for, we have like hashtags for every day of the week. Mm -hmm. And so we do like these hashtag posts that are the same every week of, you know, like, what are you working on Wednesday where people can share what they're working on to get feedback. Um, Solidarity Saturday, where you can just kind of vent or ask for advice and just like these different little things that we do to try to keep the conversation always happening. Awesome. Awesome. And, and if, you know, I'll put all of these links in the show notes. So people who want to join Good. can just, you know, it's a community worth, you know, it looks like a supportive nurturing community and I'd love to be part of it myself. Yes. Um, we welcome so, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Um, so to wrap up the conversation, uh, you've been doing this with TPLD for, for a little bit now. Um, is there a success story that that stands out to you? Can you share that without sharing the name of the person, but of course, share the success? Of course. Yes. So one of my favorite success stories is um, 
one of the gals and, and this is, um, this is a good example of she joined TPLD, but she was also doing some other, I think she had joined another ID Academy and was doing, she was doing multiple different things. So it's, it's not solely TPLD success story. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to share the success with others. Right. Um, but she messaged me on LinkedIn one day and was like, I'm freaking out. I just got two job offers in one day. And she had, you know, after working on, she, she'd worked a a ton on her portfolio and on her resume and was just doing all the right things and just kind of like waiting for the right fit. Right. And she had two job offers and, um, she was able to kind of leverage them off of one another to get like the maximum salary offer. And she, I, I just told her, I was like, be very upfront with both recruiters that this happened to you mm-hmm. and see if they want to compete. And they did, they wanted to compete for her. And she ended up going with one and accepting the offer. And it was, you know, really a, a great, awesome offer. Um, but then what she ended up doing was there was a member of our group who I think everyone just kind of assumed was already working in the field, but she was looking for a job and she had, it it was kind of one of those, like always a bridesmaid, never a bride Mm -hmm. where she would make it to these final interviews. She's been helping other people. Her portfolio is beautiful. She's been doing appearances, talking about instructional design skills and how she's filled her gaps, but she just couldn't find that right fit of a position. Mm -hmm. And so Um, Sarah actually suggested, why don't you reach out to the gal who had had the two job offers Mm -hmm. and see what happened with that other offer she didn't take. Mm -hmm. And so the gal was like, I didn't realize you weren't already working in this field, gave her the recruiter's information for the job she didn't take. And now that gal is starting the other job here shortly. So it was kind of, that's my favorite story is that like, not only did she get two job offers, but she passed one of those off to one of the other members to that's, help her. That's a twofold success story is yes. how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. What calls you to this mission, um, Heidi? What caused you to be part of this mission? Um, you know, I just wanted to give back. People like Kara North and Devlin Peck and Tim Slade, of course, that you already talked to were already kind of doing what they're still doing now back when I decided to make the career shift. And there were so many free resources that they were offering. There were, like you said, so many podcasts and I didn't really need to spend extra money to get the help that I needed and to get the encouragement that I needed. And so for me, it was really just about paying it forward. Right. right? And helping others, especially, um, my mother, my sister, and two of my very best friends in the whole world are all teachers and watching what they went through this last year during the pandemic. It, it made it so that I really wanted to help and give back even more. Right. Right. It just became real in the last year and a half. Right. It's it's, yes. Very much. There's resources out there, but it becomes overwhelming when you're trying to navigate in a flip second right and in the world changed in march so thank you so much heidi for offering this great service and for coming and speaking with me this morning i would love to have you back on the podcast on another topic at another time but i appreciate your time today thank you for having me 
Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.